Welcome to 1874 on The Athletic, the podcast that brings you the definitive word on title chasing Aston Villa Football Club every single week. Now, Greg, I don't know, you weren't at the game last night, were you? You, you, you didn't go, you're not, you're not allowed in a way. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I wasn't. Oh, there. no, you I were wasn't. there. Oh, yeah, you were yeah, there. Yeah. Even better, so this is going to be an even better podcast than, than I first thought. I don't know if you were like me, and I was quite happy with 0-0. I thought that's, that's a decent result away at Leicester. Obviously, it would have been the first 0-0 in the Premier League this season. Absolutely chuffed to win the game one nil in the, in the last minute through Ross Barkley. Just what was it like there last night? Yeah, another incredible night. I mean, amazing really to think of the transformation. The last time I was at King Power Stadium back in March when Villa were battered four nil. I remember we came on the podcast and I think we both agreed at that point that that Villa were probably the worst team in the Premier League at that point. They were certainly playing that way. And now to go <laughs> to, to to link to leave King Power Stadium and and be you know, debating that Villa are potentially the best team in the Premier League at the moment. He's quite a he's quite a turnaround, and I mean, it does sound outlandish, doesn't it? That, that you know we're, that we're putting Villa that higher, you know, in in our estimations. But they are playing that well at the moment. You know, the fact that they've won every single game, beating some really top teams over the course of this eight game Premier League and beaten run, and and they look the real deal to me at the moment. You know, it's obviously obviously time will tell as to whether this rich vein of form continues, but. Right now, they're looking the part. Yeah, it was. It's a different type of win last night. I think in some ways, I enjoyed that win last night more than I did the Liverpool win. I mean, I don't think my head still come to terms with what happened at Villa Park against Liverpool. But to, to win a game like that in the last minute, obviously winning any game in in stoppage time is is a brilliant feeling. But I liked what I saw from Villa last night. There was a lot of aspects of our game that we hadn't perhaps seen in the in the other game so far this season. We we were dogged to to a man. Everyone worked their socks off. We were tight. We were solid. I want you. You know, at the end of games, when you're usually worried that Villa are going to concede, I didn't feel like that at all last night. And if anything, it was Villa that were really in the in the ascendancy and the ones that were looking like they were going to win it. And obviously, that's what ended up happening. But there there was a lot of good traits in that Villa side last night, wasn't there, Greg? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there was a lovely little moment. I think it was about 89 minutes, just just coming up to the 90th minute. And um, Jack Grealish was hugging the, the, the left-hand touchline very close to Dean Smith. And Villa were kind of like just passing it between themselves at that line. And yeah, at the point I was thinking nil-nil, you know, probably the right thing to do, just see out the game and, 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 and hold on to what will, will be a very good point. But Grealish was screaming his head off saying, you know, effing out, come on, get the ball up here, get it forward. And it, and you could tell from his mindset that he wanted to go and get the win. You know, nil-nil wasn't good enough for him and, 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 and he wanted to push on and get the win. He felt that Villa still had enough in the tank to go and get it. And it was just pretty much seconds later that, that Villa broke a, a brilliant ball from McGinn to play Barkley forward. And then Barkley does what he does best raced forward and, and shot from 30 yards out and, and smashed it into the bottom corner. And that's what we know Ross Bartley can do. And then, you know, the, all the players were, were were obviously celebrating, you know, wild scenes together out on the pitch. And I remember looking at some of the faces and Grealish in particular, he, he looked like shocked and surprised more than anything than, than you know, it, it was it was more of, you know, what the hell's going on here? We're doing it again, aren't we? And um, he was interviewed after the Liverpool game and he said that during the 7-2 win, when the goals kept coming in, the, the, in, the, in the goal celebrations, they were like, what the hell's going on here? What are we doing? And it felt a little bit like that again last night because although Villa were, as you say, very tight, very dogged defensively, 
you know, there weren't too many chances in the game. Was it? It was probably a nil-nil game overall, and and the fact that you know one team went and snatched it at the end was was quite remarkable. But brilliant for Villa and, and brilliant to to keep the run going. In fairness to Jack, obviously he's been a Villa fan his whole life, like me, so he's not used to this kind of thing. He he can't be used to to seeing Villa pull off pull off results like this and winning every game like they have done in the Premier League this season. I mean, Villa quite simply at the moment are doing things that the other teams in the Premier League don't seem capable of. Three clean sheets already. I mean, if you look around the Premier League, not many teams are, are keeping clean sheets at all, whereas Villa have kept three already. Our goal difference is, is excellent. I think it's at plus 10 at the moment. So Villa have got a lot of very, very good traits that not many teams have come back and been able to have, Greg. Yeah, that's what I wrote about today in The Athletic. That's the, the you know my piece that I focused on, mainly about Villa's identity, really. And um, although they're not quite as exciting as, as maybe the you know the real top teams in the division just yet, they've found an almost old school formula that, that has been lost, as you say, on a lot of the top teams of late. I mean, look at the way Tottenham conceded three goals yesterday and, and let and let their you know lead slip. Chelsea are struggling, aren't they? You know they they're conceding goals for fun. They can't seem to put it all together and look how much money they've spent. Um, and you know, look, I mean, at the at this stage right now, I don't for one minute think that. Villa can genuinely sustain a title push, but you you can't deny that they're looking the part right now and and they're doing everything right. And I think there'll be a lot of other teams looking at Villa and being quite jealous and envious, really, that they've managed to build this solid platform, which allows the the, the forward five to go and just do their stuff. Really, I mean, it very much is that, isn't it? A, a, a solid defensive five and a, and then a real attacking, unpredictable five as well. So. It's just it, the piece that I wrote was that Villa have got the balance perfect, and I, and I think that's the best way to sum it up at the moment. For a limited time only, we're offering you the chance to subscribe to the Athletic for just one pound a month. You can read all of Greg's articles on the Villa, including his interview today with Hotter and his piece from yesterday, looking at how Villa have become so effective so far this season. Just go to theathletic.com/villapod to sign up and pay just a quid a month. I mean, saying we're not going to be chasing for the title has completely ruined my intro at the start of this podcast, Greg. So you, you've done well to, to ruin that. But just on the on the back five, for example, like Martinez, he didn't have loads to do last night. But whatever he does have to do, he does it all very well. And I've got Matty Cash at right back. He was on a booking. I was worried. I was thinking I'd probably get him off for Elmo. I'm worried about Harvey Barnes, him getting a second yellow card, especially with John, John Moss's erratic refereeing as well. I was worried about... Matty Cash and what could happen there, but he just dusts himself off, has a great game at right back. The centre-back partnership's phenomenal. I thought Target was excellent last night as well. People question his commitment and getting stuck in, but I thought you watched the game back last night. Target was putting himself about. And that, that defence, it's suddenly gone from that defence that was getting absolutely annihilated at Leicester back in February, March, whenever it was, to being a defence that just doesn't look like it's going to concede. And... What, did you, what do you make of the players that I've mentioned there, some of the names I've given you? Yeah, I, th- I think you've wrapped it up quite well there, Dan. Um, you know, the, 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 the defence has, has obviously improved a lot. I think it's changed, you know, not necessarily just this season. I think it's really from lockdown, you know. Um, D- Dean Smith did a lot of work with the players during um, those, those months of uncertainty. And, and, and credit to him, you know, when the rest of the world was, um, you know, wondering what to do with themselves, <laughs> Dean Smith you know, really dug in deep and 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 um, and made sure he used that period to his advantage and his team's advantage. Um, 
I think Martinez, the, the key with him is that he actually catches footballs rather than just punches them and, and parries shots away. He just seems to catch it, which is, you know, I mean, it seems so simple for a keeper, but so many of them don't do it anymore. And um, he's made a huge difference. Uh, you know, I know from speaking to, to the defenders that if they've got a really solid goalkeeper behind them, that gives them an edge and it feels like, you know, they're never going to be beaten. So that's a, um, you know, starting point. I think Konza and Mings, the, the the biggest compliment you can give them is that you don't really see them much now unless they're you know in the attacking third. And, and to be fair to them, they're both a threat at corners and, and free kicks too. But yeah, the, the, the biggest compliment to them is they go through games now pretty much unnoticed. And that's something that John Terry, the assistant coach and obviously one of the best defenders ever to play in the Premier League, has told the both of them, if you can go through the game without getting seen, you're doing the right thing. And that seems to be working. I think Matt Target... For me, he was man of the match last night. don't know what you thought on the TV, but I watched him closely and I thought he made a lot of important blocks, a lot of important interceptions. He's actually putting in tackles as well this season, which he wasn't doing so much last season. And I think he's had quite a, a tough ride, really, in a Villa shirt. But it felt like he came of age last night. And, uh, and, and Matt Cash, yeah. He, what I like about this Villa side is they're not afraid to sort of dip into the dark arts, are they? You know, they can, they can, they can rough up you know, defenders, uh, they can rough up attackers when the officials aren't really looking and, you know, they can do some of those, take some of those fouls for the teams and take the bookings, you know, the, the, the cash one where he pulled down, he almost pulled down Harvey Barnes' shorts, didn't they, from, from what I can remember. Um, yeah, very cynical. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Barnes was away at that point. So that was a really important booking, uh, a really important foul to take. And then Louise did one as well on Pratt, was it, I think, or Tielemans? I can't remember in, in, this, in the in the second half. And, you know, he took a booking for the team as well. So it's good to see that Villa aren't afraid to mix it up and be a bit nasty and dirty in their play as well, because you've got to have that edge, haven't you, really? Because that, sometimes that's what um, sets you aside from the others. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be too nice. I mean, I hark back to the, the Spurs documentary where Mourinho is telling the Spurs players that, that they're too nice. That's a criticism that I think could have been levelled at Villa over the years. We, we, we have been too nice. We haven't been streetwise enough, but we suddenly look a very, very streetwise team. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about, about the two playing in front of the defence because, you know, when we came back from lockdown, we were all raving about Louise. We, we'd noticed a, a massive change in his game defensively. And I think that now comes a standard with him. And, I'm almost not noticing him at all in a in a in a bad way or, or a good way if that makes sense. I'm just just not noticing him at all there at the moment, which I think again, like you said about John Terry about the defenders, I think I think that's a good thing that, that he's not really standing out to me. It just means he's he's doing his job every week and he's doing it to a good standard. But McGinn's positioning is obviously also tweaked with Barkley coming in and the change of system. He would have, I'd have given the man the match to McGinn on his birthday last night. I thought he was absolutely excellent, and I think when he plays in that deeper role, Greg. His, 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 his range of passing comes out. It's something that goes unnoticed with, with McGinn, I think, because you think of it about him bombing around the pitch, being box to box. But when he, when he's playing deeper, his full range of passing comes out, and I, and I really think that's benefited him. It's totally, exactly the point I was going to make. You know, everybody sort of assumes uh, and thinks of McGinn as this sort of high energy or lockdown player, and it's like if you watch him closely when he when he's playing in that position he's passing is his best quality um there were so many times where he won the ball not not necessarily won the ball but had the ball close to his own box and he quickly shifted the play with with long diagonal balls or balls into Grealish or balls into Barkley and previously it used to be players passing to him but now it's him doing that and and allowing other players to uh, to break forward and 
I think we all know that John McGinn is a good ball carrier. You know, he can turn defence into attack quite quickly. But I think McGinn will also admit that Barkley, Grealish and possibly Trezeguet are better at it than him. And that's what Villa seem to be using to their advantage now. You know, the fact that they've got Barkley and Grealish herring down on defenders. You know, he's a big difference. And I, I thought McGinn played well. I thought... First half, he there was wasn't quite going for him. I thought that there were a few things that were, were starting to annoy him, and the way he usually backs into people with his with his backside and his back that wasn't necessarily coming off with with some of the challenges he was going in against. But then he grew into the game. Look, and, and I thought Villa were a much better side in the second half. And overall, if any team was going to win it, I think Villa did deserve it. Yeah, I thought we really came into the ascendancy for the, for the last ten fifteen minutes. I mean, I thought Trezeguet. Had an excellent game. In the first half, I couldn't believe his work rate. I thought it was absolutely incredible. And I thought he'd just be left on for the 90 because Cash is on a booking defensively. He's doing a really good job. You'd be you'd be silly to change that. But Traore came on. And I actually think he was a massive part in swinging the pendulum in, in Villa's favour. He, he was involved in the game pretty much as soon as he, he got on the pitch. And he, he carried another threat and he carried a different threat. He had a header just before we scored. And I honestly think him coming onto the pitch, that was one of the things that swung the game, Greg. Yeah, I, I, I didn't take that from it, I have to admit. I, that's not something that I um, particularly picked up on. I thought that, I think the energy, the amount of energy that Trezeguet puts in, it, it's natural that he's going to be sort of tiring, isn't it? When it gets to like 65, 70, 75 minutes. You know, an incredible turnaround from, from, that, from that player as well. Somebody who admittedly I thought wasn't cut out to be a Villa player, wasn't cut out for the Premier League. You weren't alone. Yeah, and, and do you know what I mean? He was probably the, you know, he, he was probably the scapegoat, wasn't he? Towards in, in the winter months of last season where things weren't going well. I mean, you know, fair play to him, fair play to him for knuckling down and, and working so hard and actually realising that sometimes hard work beats talent. I know it's a bit of a cliche and it's an old, you know, an old saying these days, isn't it? But if you work harder than everybody else, then that's why he's keeping his place at the moment. Bertrand Traore was signed for £19 million and he's keeping that player out at the moment. To be honest, I thought Traore was hit and miss. I think... Maybe I weren't focusing enough on him. I just thought on the- it's mad. It's mad that like you at the game saying one thing, and I'm obviously watching it on yeah. TV, and I've, I've seen something completely different. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, you, you do pick up different things. I think I, I just remember him crossing a cup, putting a couple of crosses into the box that were a little bit wayward. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he did put Villa a bit more on the front foot, and he seemed to have more of the ball at at his feet than Trezeguet did, and. That's that's just a you know a real good option for Villa now, isn't it? The fact that they can bring a couple of players off the bench uh, and make a big difference. I mean, the one worry I did think was that out of every out of every player, Watkins had a very quiet night, didn't he? he didn't really get involved much, and you just think on days like that in the Premier League, they, there are going to be more days like that where the defenders get the better of of, of Ollie Watkins or, or the other striker that plays for Villa. And you just think, if they're really, really, really serious about sustaining this incredible start and and, and, and maintaining themselves in, in the real high places in the Premier League, they're going to need an alternative at some point, aren't they? Because there will be more games like that. Well, you've hit the nail on the head of what I was going to ask you next, because obviously we're, we're all buzzing. It's all so, so positive, such a positive vibe around the football club at the moment. But Davis obviously wasn't on the bench last night. And you think Wesley's still out till, till probably January. Watkins, he actually went down at one point as well, which was a, a big concern in the, in the first half. It does just show you that we... It feels like we've not learned the lessons of, of last season. We are still so short in attack because Davis over the years, 
You can't rely on him to stay fit. And if Watkins does, God forbid, pick up an injury, there's nothing on a bench in terms of a natural striker. And that, that is a concern. I mean, I did a general football show yesterday and people were talking about free agents and Daniel Sturridge being a free agent. I know you don't like to speculate around transfers, but is it worth Villa just having someone like that in the squad? Because you saw last night, we're back to no striker on the bench and that, that does worry me. Yeah, I mean, look, taking Daniel Sturridge alone, I suppose he's had his injury concerns as well, hasn't he? So it's it's you know it's whether whether you whether you're looking at that. I mean, Brighton have gone ahead and signed Danny Welbeck, haven't they? I think I think that's a decent decent signing, you know, because they've got they've got Connolly and Morpai up there, and um, you know Welbeck will just add competition for them. Look, if there was if there was a player out there that could come and help Villa, then I, I don't see you know why they shouldn't go and do it. But I just think now that they'll wait and see. I mean, there's only what twelve games is there until January. Okay, okay, it's a lot of games, but you know, they, they if they can get through this period, then then they're looking at January again, and then considering whether to strengthen. Then you know, there'll be potentially better options available. I, I don't. Th- I think Villa have had long enough in the transfer window to understand what they want or need to do, and the fact that they haven't got another forward in, you know, suggests that. You know, there's a reason for that, isn't there? They either feel like Traore can do a job up front if he needs to. Um, Wesley will be back sooner than than we're expecting, um, or that the players available to them are enough. I mean, we're, 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 are we pick, are we picking faults too easily, Dan? I don't know. I mean, it's like you know, I, I I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. I think you know, in a in a perfect ideal window, and in a perfect scenario right now, as I mentioned, Villa would have had another quality alternative to turn to last night up front but you know that's probably the only issue with the squad isn't it it's very very difficult to be critical of anything at the club at the moment and I don't want to be I've generally over the years been a positive person with Villa and the the work they've done over the last few months I think is absolutely incredible and I think regardless of the strike situation it's definitely a 10 out of 10 transfer window but there is that that little bit of worry in my mind that won't go away when before the game even started last night and I saw Davis was injured and he wasn't on the bench I just thought how can we only have one fit striker at the club? That just doesn't—it just doesn't make sense, does it? Like I'm talking about all the things Villa do well. I feel like that's not something that you'd see at any other football club, and it's kind of a follow-on from last season. So it is something that worries me. But you've got to trust that the club know what they're doing. I mean, I've said try or I can play up front if if needs be as well. And I was very impressed with with him. Obviously, I wasn't at the game, so I didn't see the true true value of what was happening. But I was impressed with him when he when he came came on last night. So hey, maybe he's the option. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. I don't remember feeling like this about start for Villa since probably 1998 under John Gregory and Ironically, we had we had a, an all English back four then as well. There is there is some similarities. That was a very likable side, and you do go through the Villa Villa eleven and then the subs now. And I like every player. There's a lot to like. Yeah, about definitely. I think they're you know maybe one or two injuries away from having issues again. I think that's the only that's the only probably real concern. I mean, let's let's not forget Villa were very fortunate last night to be coming up against a depleted Leicester side. I, I suppose not having Soyuncu, um Vardy, uh, Indida, Amata. I think it's it's probably the equivalent yeah. of Villa not having, say, Mings, Louise, and Grealish. And let's be honest, if if Villa didn't have those three players, they'd probably not quite be at it either. So, um, I think that if Villa can keep this eleven fit, I think they've probably got eleven, maybe thirteen players 
haven't they? They've got a real strong 13 players. After that, you think it's dropping down into more of the bottom half. Um, it's, it's, it's more of a bottom half team rather than a top half team if you're having to dip into the players that are outside of that 13. So that would be the only concern for me. But look, you know, when Leicester won the league, and I'm not getting carried away here, but when Leicester won the league, they kept a, a very settled team, didn't they? They hardly had any injuries. All the key players were fit for the majority of the season. They didn't have a European fixture list to contend with, neither de Villa. They're out of the Carabao Cup, so the FA Cup, you know, will, will come around and they'll probably play some of the fringe players for the early rounds. But, you know, the, the focus now is very much on the Premier League. There is not a huge amount of games and if they can keep everybody fit, then, you know, who's to say that they can't have a real, real good crack at um, finishing high up in the division this year. Yeah, I mean, it's been 90 years since Villa won their first four Premier League, sorry, first four, four, oh, four league games, 90 years. So that, that is absolutely yeah. an incredible stat. It tells you how, how well they've done at the start. But I just wanted to, to crack on with a, with a few things that, that you have said there. So you're talking about like the Leicester injuries and stuff last night. Obviously, we were fortunate that Liverpool were without their number one and they were without Mane when we played them a few weeks ago as well. But you know, things are going badly in general and you start playing teams and suddenly someone that's been injured for months turns up on the opposition team who hasn't played against anyone else and you think, oh God, of course he's fit against Villa. You've got players that haven't, haven't scored for months and they end up scoring a goal against you and you feel like everything's going against you because the, the chips are down and you're struggling in general. When things are going well, it does feel like other things they they go hand in hand. So like the injuries for the teams that, that we're playing, suddenly everything just seems to be to be going right, and you're feeling like we're quite lucky as well. So when you're down at the bottom and you feel like everything against you, that's a thing. But I think at the moment as well, we, we're near the top, we're doing well, and it it feels like we're getting a little bit of luck as well. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I, I mean I've followed Dean Smith's career as well throughout you know from his right from his early Warsaw days and. It would be very harsh on me to say that he's a lucky manager because that takes away all the good qualities that he's got and clearly there are so many. But he does have an element of good fortune that follows around with him, you know. I remember, you know, covering Warsaw in my previous job and, and there were moments where he desperately needed to get a win, you know. He just needed a win else that team were getting relegated and and he got it. And, and it just feels like that continued at Brentford. There were spells where... You know, I remember early in the season, uh, early into the one season where Brentford was struggling massively and, and, and were right up against relegation. They were on an incredible uh, losing streak and then they got a win and, and, and then he turned it around. And the fact that Dean Smith's never been sacked in a job shows how, you know, how talented he is as, as a boss. And any manager will tell you, if you get a little bit of good luck along the way, well, it's, you know, it's better than being a good manager if you're, if you're a lucky manager. So I think that what Villa have got in, in Dean Smith is a manager who is, is entirely comfortable in his own surroundings. He's so grounded um, and never gets flustered by, by defeats or wins. But also he's, there's an element of good fortune that follows him around. And it feels like that this season, you know, certainly the, the Liverpool game and the Leicester game, that there were injuries... Obviously, he can't he can't control that at all. But Villa have knocked those teams out of the way now, and they're coming up against a, a nice little run of fixtures now, where you, where you'd, you'd almost put them as favourites, you know, in in almost every game that they go into, and that brings with yeah. it different problems because the expectation levels then grow, and and you know if they don't get wins, the, the supporters are starting to get frustrated, and you know it's almost like well, that was disappointing, wasn't it? Whereas before it would have been incredibly you know it would have been elation if they'd have won but 
I just think they've set the standards now and the pressure is off and they can just go and play with the shackles off almost and, and just enjoy themselves and express themselves. And I think that's what we'll see now in the weeks ahead. I mean, two home games coming up now, Leeds on Friday and then I think it's Southampton, I think, the, the week after on a, on a Sunday. So two home games against winnable op- opposition. Without getting ahead of myself, there's... Every chance Villa could, you know, win their first six games there. Yeah, I, I, I agree. You know, I'm going into the game on Friday now very confident. I've, I've watched every game that Leeds have played this season, um, uh, full of admiration for, for what Marcelo Bielsa has done there. I think he's a great coach and, you know, Villa will have a tough game there, but I feel like they can go into that game and get something from it, you know, if not even win it. And... Um, that's what the players will be feeling like now, you know, speaking to speaking to some of the staff members last night uh, after the game. It, there's, there's a real confidence and buzz about the place. They're going into every game genuinely believing that they can win the game. And, and it's not a cocky, arrogant way. Villa are not getting carried away with it. What, what I still like about them is that they're still very much taking it as a game-by-game game, you know, basis, you know, each game as it comes type thing. But... What I can genuinely feel from the group is that they're they're so confident going into every game, and they believe that they can go and win. So it'll be exactly the same on Friday. And I mean, what one one issue I suppose is are the is is the fact that the crowd not there actually helping Villa? Yeah, it's a really big one. That it's it's not. Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's, it's not helping me because I, I desperately want to go, but you do feel like Villa are one of the teams that that have been benefited from it in a, in a, in a weird way because. Really, our overall record since fans haven't been able to go is superb, and it, and it wasn't great when fans could go. So, is it is a real, real funny one? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I know people who work at Everton as well, and 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 they suggested the same. You know, the Goodison Park crowd can be, um, you know, can get on the back of the players at times, and and Villa certainly have been that way. You know, certainly during my time covering the club, I've seen the whole end turn quite nasty and hostile on, on many occasions and I've been there yeah. yeah and obviously you know you've been in there Dan and you, you know what it's like so you just wonder don't you whether whether some cl- some teams some clubs you know Everton and, and Villa in particular are actually benefiting from the fans not there because they're just playing with a little bit more freedom you know that the, the, the fans aren't on their backs when they make mistakes um, I mean equally Villa Park you know is a brilliant place to be at when it's going well but we all know that when it's not going so well, it, it's hostile. Oh, it can be horrible. It can be absolutely horrible in the whole end. Obviously, I've sat, sat there my whole life and the team does seem to be thriving without the guy who sits the row in front of me abusing them all <laughs> for, for 90 minutes. They do seem to be not missing his presence in the ground. Hello to that guy if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, I've got no idea what his name is, but I know, I know exactly who, I, who I'm talking about. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from The Athletic, the next big thing. There's nothing better than, I don't think as a fan, to see a lad coming on for his debut. And I love the way they can't even fill the shirt properly. This season, we'll be drawing on the knowledge of our incredible football writers to give you the ultimate briefing on the stars of tomorrow. You know, people always question, you know, what, what is the plan for these young players? Our experts know these players better than anyone else. That's the thing with him. I mean, when he, he made his debut with the first team, I, I sort of said to you before the game, I have no worry about you. You know, I just, I know... Uh, how confident you are in your own ability, but he hasn't got the overconfidence. It all starts on September the 28th with a full profile of Liverpool's Billy Cometio. Footballers now are getting so much criticism from all sections of society. They can't deal with it from the players they're meant to be playing with. They haven't got much of a chance, really. From what I hear, you know, he's, he's got a big personality and somebody who really believes in himself. That's the next big thing, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Just to finish, what, what have you got coming up this week in, in your paces? Obviously, you spoke about your pace that you had earlier today, but what else have you got coming up? Yeah, so yesterday the story was just all about Villa's um, identity, you know, basically what what they're doing so well to make to, uh, to, to, to help generate this winning formula. I spoke to Hotter as well, obviously the former winger who's moved to Alibes, just caught up with his memories from, from Villa. Some really interesting thoughts from Hotter, actually. You know, he felt like he, he deserved more of a chance to play. And obviously there was the, the Danny Drinkwater issue, which he addresses as well. So that, that, that's well worth a read. And then, pretty is that Greg? Is that Greg Evans exclusive? Uh, well, I suppose you That's could call that if I was the only person oh, to speak really to him. Is. Yeah, then. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so Greg Evans exclusive. <laughs> and then it's uh, onto the Leeds game, I suppose, isn't it? You know, Friday, quick, quick turnaround, and and uh, one we're all excited for already. Yeah, if you do want to read Greg's paces at the moment for a limited time, there's a, a quid a month offer going on. So if you just venture to theathletic.com slash villapod, you can go and have a look at that and look at signing up for a pound a month. And yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that hotter piece myself, actually, because I like the stuff that you won't have heard before. And as I say, Greg Evans exclusive. That's that's what we all want. That's what we're all looking for on The Athletic. So I'll be definitely reading that when it's out. And yeah, nothing else to say, really, Greg, other than it's a pleasure to do another podcast with you. This this winning train keep, keeps on rolling and, and long may it continue. It is a pleasure, Dan. I'll speak to you next week, mate. Lovely. Lovely.